This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton Global Youth Program. Hello, and welcome to Future of the Business World, the podcast featuring teen entrepreneurs and innovators from across the globe. I'm Diana Drake with the Wharton Global Youth Program at the Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania. Wharton Global Youth entices high school students to discover the depth and breadth of business through our summer programs, four-credit courses, competitions, and content. We meet many of our Future of the Business World guests through these opportunities and invite them here to tell us more about their lives and their unique business interests. Today, we are celebrating our 30th episode with Albert Joe, a high school senior from the state of New Jersey who studied in our Leadership in the Business World program in summer 2022. Albert is going to share his journey with Hear Our Voices, a magazine launched in 2020 to give the Asian American student community a voice that has since evolved into so much more. Albert, welcome to Future of the Business World. Hi, thank you so much for having me here today. It's great to have you. So let's get started. I would just like to start with a very basic question. Can you define the Asian American demographic for us? Who does that include? And also give us the context of New Jersey. Does your high school have a large Asian American community? Yeah, to start off simply, being Asian American just means any American that has any sort of Asian ethnicity. This obviously encompasses a wide variety of people from immigrants from Asia who are living here now to people who, like myself, were born in America, but who had Asian ancestors that at some point immigrated over here. Um, it includes East Asians and South Asians and people of mixed descent. But basically anybody who identifies as American, but also identifies with their Asian background, descent, and ethnicity. To contextualize it in my experience growing up in New Jersey, I went to a school district that had a very high Asian population, West Windsor, New Jersey. And to be honest, Asian American was actually the majority uh, of my student population. Um, and so for me growing up, Asian American never seemed abnormal to me because everyone around me looked like me, had the same lived experiences as me, celebrated the same holidays as me. Around high school, when I when I you know when I applied to private when I applied to high school, um, and I got to my current high school, Princeton Day School. I experienced a sudden dramatic increase. Asian Americans were somewhat underrepresented in my high school. They were a smaller population in my new school. And so for me, it was a drastic change in my life. I never felt like a minority before. I never had seen so many people that didn't have the same experiences as me. And that definitely played a role in me uh, joining the Hear Our Voices team and me trying to push for more Asian representation in media. Great. Well, I want to hear more about Hear Our Voices. You and Kyler Joe are among the two founders of Hear Our Voices, a magazine specifically dedicated to raising awareness of the Asian American experience through writing and art. What inspired this project in 2020? And I'd like to know, was it in response to the hate and hostility toward Asian Americans that surfaced during the pandemic? You actually got it right. Uh, you nailed it. It was actually directly in response to the rise in hate crimes and hostility towards Asian Americans that came with the rise of the pandemic. I remember when the pandemic had first started, my mom was extremely paranoid. Um, she said that people who look like us going out in the public during the pandemic was an easy way to get targeted, to, to become a victim. We were seeing stories night after night on the news of Asian women who were being pushed to death on the subway, of another Asian shop owner being assaulted uh, while people scream racial slurs and blame the pandemic on them. So for a lot of Asian Americans like myself, it was a very, very scary time. 
and we felt that we were at risk and we were a targeted group. So I remember one day Kyler texting me out of the blue and he said, hey, I have an idea. Can we chat sometime? So we hopped on a Zoom meeting because obviously this was pandemic. And he told me that he had an idea for a magazine. He had always been into journalism and he wanted to be able to project his voices. He said he wanted to be able to respond to the rise of hate crimes that we were seeing towards Asian Americans. And he had the idea for the magazine saying simply, here are voices, here are Asian American voices. We initially started with monthly issues. He wanted to publish monthly issues that would simply include news about Asian Americans and poems about the Asian American experience and short stories from different authors. Um, it started off very simple. We simply just wanted to uh, share our stories and share our experiences with as many people as possible um, and to feel empowered in a way and to feel that there were people out there who cared about the Asian American experience. Um, but we couldn't have predicted that over the next few months it'd grow into so much more. And I'm really eager to talk to you about that growth. Before we do, I'm hoping we can stay with this just a little bit more because I want to understand better what it was like for you and your classmates and your friends and your family during those dark times of the pandemic. I mean, did it evoke anger and what kinds of emotions did that bring up in you? I think most of all, it simply evoked fear. It was quite scary. You know, we would see a lot of my classmates and I would see videos of hate crimes being committed live. Um, I think social media has kind of um, really sensationalized a lot of things now. And so it's so accessible to see really horrific incidents happening. Um, it's difficult to see someone who looks like you, who probably has a lot of shared experiences with you, go through terrible, terrible things. And you can't help but imagine, what if that is me next? It felt unfair to me, especially because people were blaming all Asians for the coronavirus pandemic when really we just there's simply nothing that we could have done about it. A lot of us had family that was suffering from COVID back too. I had family back home in China that had contracted COVID and were living through really, really difficult conditions. And to see absolutely no sympathy towards that and instead to see all this hate and violence and crime towards us was very difficult. And we simply hear our voices was simply a vehicle for us to say we're not going to just simply sit back uh, and and take the abuse and violence that we're seeing. I think traditionally in media, there can be a lot of stereotypes about Asian Americans being more submissive and not very vocal about their opinions and their voices. And they're not really represented in politics and media and that type of stuff. So here are voices where our way of saying the hate has to stop. We want to take action against it. And we won't just sit back and watch all this unfold. I love it. So you, as you just said, you initially rallied a group of like-minded classmates and friends from your community, but then you began to think nationally. What prompted you to want to expand? And can you also tell us more about how speaker events helped you to extend the reach of Hear Our Voices across the U.S.? Yeah. So we realized some point about five, six months into this whole process that our team was very New Jersey-based which made sense because we were from New Jersey and there was a large Asian community in New Jersey, as I mentioned before. But there were so many Asian Americans out there that we felt we just weren't touching with our work and that we weren't impacting their lives. And so we wanted to be able to give them a chance to see our content and to see themselves represented in media through a group like us. So one of the ways we went about this, and you touched on this, was speakership events. What we did was we invited notable Asian American figures in the community to come and simply 
give speeches and Q&A sessions and talk about their experiences or whatever else they wanted to talk about. And then we would advertise these all over social media, all over Instagram, all over WeChat and different platforms. And we were able to bring in a lot of people. I remember our very first speakership event was with Benny Guo, who was the founder of NextShark, which is another journalism company. So it was kind of cool to, to see you know, a founder of a huge journalism company then give a speech for a startup journalism company like us. And he gave a speech and answered a Q&A session. It was a really huge success. We had a lot of people come and I remember just messages pouring in after the event telling us what an enjoyable opportunity it was for a lot of people and how cool it was to see themselves be represented in a figure like Benny Gua, who was bringing Asian American representation to media. And that really helped us expand our national outreach. People from all over the country from you know Arizona to Georgia were reaching out and asking if they could join the team and that they wanted to write content or they wanted to apply for a social media position or something. And within a few months after our first speakership event, we got more speakers. Uh, we, we decided that this was a really great way to, to reach more people because while content and articles are great, uh, there is just something, something about seeing a person live actually talk about their experiences instead of just write about it. So uh, we had a bunch of speakership events with different speakers and we were able to expand our outreach to there. And by the end of the year, we were in a bunch of different states and had really become, I think, a nationwide organization instead of just one that was located in New Jersey. Do you have the data of the bump in numbers on your website? I mean, did can you give me a sense of how the readership grew? So we, by the end of the year, our first issue probably only had 20, 30 readers, to be honest. I don't have the exact number on me right now, but it was very, very small. By the end of, I think, yeah, I think by the end of the year, we had around 10,000 readers nationwide, which was a huge jump. We couldn't have expected that. And now we're sitting at around 17,000 readers nationwide. That's very cool. And as I alluded to in the beginning, you've really evolved into so much more. And I want to talk about that a little bit. You also helped to influence the New Jersey legislature, right? What role did Hear Our Voices play in New Jersey becoming one of the first states to mandate AAPI, which stands for Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders, history to be taught in public schools? Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. So this project started with a very reoccurring theme that I've been talking about all episode, which was we wanted to have more Asian American representation. For a lot of kids like myself growing up in school, we were never really taught about our history. When we learned about American history, we never really learned about Asian American history. And it was difficult to sit in classrooms and see all these people that never look like me and to really have no idea what my cultural heritage was like and what my people generations ago were doing here in the country. And so Kyler and I were talking about this one day after a meeting, and he said, we've been a journalism company for so long. We have tried to be very independent and kind of stay out of political activities, but perhaps now is the time to transfer more to the political sector. Perhaps now is the time to make our voices heard through legislation instead of just stories. So we reached out to a bunch of different lobbying groups who were working on a bill that would mandate New Jersey public schools to teach Asian American history. And we got a coalition. One of the most notable groups we worked with was a group called Make Us Visible New Jersey. That was also focused on making Asian American history taught, uh, hence the name Make Us Visible. And we pushed and pushed for many months and we were doing all sorts of different lobbying activities and reaching out to grassroots supporters, talking to assemblymen and congressmen and legislatures 
And after many, many months of just constant work and calling and, and advocating and protesting, New Jersey legislature finally became just the second state, I think, in America um, to, to, to pass the bill that would mandate a Asian American history. And, you know, it's a recently passed bill, so we haven't seen the far-reaching impacts of it yet. But I hope five or six years from now, some kid who's in elementary school or middle school who is Asian American can take classes about their culture and their legacy and feel for once represented and included in all school curriculums. That's quite a victory. You must have felt great about that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, a huge victory for us. And I think a really important stepping stone in here voices in our journey, because it was amazing to see our work finally manifested in law. It's nice knowing that people are reading our stories and people are, you know, reading our content and can feel represented, but to actually see themselves represented in schools around the state, to see themselves, you know, to see the government truly put their foot down and, and, and fight for us was a big victory. So I want you to maybe now dig into your leadership in the business world experience a little bit. Let's talk business. When you think of hear our voices in pure business terms, are you guys marketing a product? And what would that product be? And also, how do you believe innovation fits into it? So yeah, when Kyler first approached me, he saw hear our voices as a vehicle for social and political activism. He saw it as a very noble venture and simply nothing more than that. When he brought me on, I said, we might have to shift, shift focus a little bit if we want to reach as many readers as we can, which obviously we do, if we want to maximize our impact. We have to start thinking about Hero Voices in business terms. We have to start viewing Hero Voices as a company that is selling a product. And Kyler said, what are we selling? That doesn't make any sense. All our content is free. It's all on our website. Anybody can read it anytime without a price. So we're not really selling anything. We're not making any money. And I thought about it a bit and got back to him and I said, we are selling something. What we're marketing and our product is political and social activism, which seems unconventional. How could that really be a product? And I thought about it and I said, we are making hopefully a huge impact on many people's lives around the country, many Asian Americans around the country. And that in and of itself is a product in a way by successfully marketing our stories and successfully marketing our speakership events and successfully marketing our legislation projects. We will be reaching more people. And by reaching more people, we will be doing and having a greater social impact. So I think our vision now is kind of a blend of Kyler's vision and my vision. It is still, Pure Voices is still a vehicle for social impact. And it is a vehicle for change. And it is a vehicle to ensure that we can have greater Asian representation in media and education and all these things. But at the end of the day, the only way to achieve that is by successful marketing and innovation and successful outreach. Because there is simply no way in reaching as many people as we have now, 17,000, um, without successful marketing strategies. And I think that's really something beautiful about learning business principles that is just so universally applicable. You wouldn't think that we would be running here at Voices like we run a company, that you would be using any of the you know, business principles that I learned back at, you know, my leadership in the business world program today for something that seems as socially driven as Hero Voices is, but it truly is something that you can be, that can be used in any fields. And I found that some of the marketing techniques I learned back at LBW have helped my journey at Hero Voices and have helped us expand readership. Connecting with our audience was a huge one. Being Asian American isn't a monolithic experience. My experience as an Asian American is not going to be the same as somebody else's experience as an Asian American. And so a big focus for us when we are marketing things 
was how do we appeal to all the different types of Asian Americans out here? One thing that we had to do was diversify our staff. In the beginning, we started out very East Asian heavy, lots of Chinese and Korean backgrounds. And we said, this is not our only leadership base. So we started recruiting more South Indian authors. We started recruiting authors who were of mixed descent so they could write more about their experiences. And in this way, we reached a much broader audience. So simple things like that. Kyler might not have thought about that when he first created Hero Voices because he was simply focused on you know, doing, doing good in the world and, and fighting back against the increase in hate that we saw during the pandemic. But for me, I saw it as an opportunity to create a product that isn't really on the market, and that is Asian representation in the media. Your legislative lobbying proved to be a huge benefit to hear our voices because you ended up winning a couple of grants, right? I'm wondering how you're applying that money to the project and also where things will be going in the future. Yeah, so it was a great thing. Uh, one of the most notable grants that we were able to win, uh, we won the Princeton Prize in Racial Relations. Well, Kyler won the Princeton Prize in Racial Relations. Um, and that gave us a $1,000 stipend to pursue a lot of different things. The biggest thing was simply upping our social media. Social media is such a huge marketing trend now. There's been a huge boom in digital content creation and digital marketing. And Instagram allows you for you know a small fee to pay for all these different promotions that you can get and to get featured in advertisements and to have more you know user analytics that helped us a lot we revamped our logo and it simply allowed us to broaden our network reach looking off into the future uh, we're hoping to work on more legislative projects we're hoping to get the bill about asian american history being taught in schools passed in other states besides new jersey it's actually funny enough our bill in Arizona is on the docket right now. I know Kyler might be flying out pretty soon to go testify to the Arizona legislature, which is really cool. We've already made plans for succession, finding a new editor-in-chief now that our editor-in-chief is graduating. Um, I know Kyler will certainly be staying with the team. I will have to see how my freshman year college schedule pans out. And I think Hear Voices, we've been able to build something that truly lasts. When we first found to hear our voices back at our sophomore year. We couldn't have imagined that it had gone on for already two years. We couldn't have imagined that we reached 17,000 readers. And we couldn't have imagined that when we graduate, we would still be doing it. Can you read a passage from your magazine that you feel is particularly powerful? Yeah, sure. There is an article in our most recent issue. It was an article from one of our writers who talked about learning her language, of her, her ancestral language. Her parents immigrated from India, and they had always encouraged her to learn their language, to learn uh, Urdu, but she never, she kind of rebelled against it, and now she's looking back on her early years and wishing that as a child she had took Urdu education more seriously and learned it now. Um, and so here's the passage. It says, so by choosing to learn the language, not of what we have, but what we've lost, I fall back into a fluidity it is in my ancestry to fight against. If adaption is the art of hardening, then to be liquid is forgetting how to let go. Not to be ignorant, but to turn towards what you know you cannot keep and remain there for as long as you can, pushing against the flow. With every word I can't pronounce and every conversation I don't understand, I'm reminded of how far away India is from my family. Every reminder is a testament to how memory has always been our greatest enemy. It's only memories that have kept Karachi and Agra alive with us, and alongside them, all the pain my family has endured for so long. Uh, this passage really, really spoke to me. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. For a lot of us, a lot of Asian Americans like myself, our parents encouraged ourselves to learn our mother tongue. And when we were kids, we really didn't want to. It was boring sitting through language lessons and all this type of stuff. And now 
I'm able to speak and hear Chinese fluently, but I can't read or can't write. And a lot of me wishes when I was a kid, I took that seriously. For a very long time, I was very ashamed of my Asian ancestry, to be honest with you. I hated the way people looked at me in public whenever my parents spoke to me in Chinese. I hated the snickers from my classmates whenever another teacher inevitably butchered my last name. I, I really didn't want to be Asian. I never saw myself on TV. I never saw myself in sports or in movies or in writing. I never saw myself on the news. I felt invisible in a way. And I, I, I wanted to disassociate with my identity in any way that I possibly could. So for a while, when people asked me, you know, what are the, like, the three biggest identities you carry around, despite Asian American definitely being one of them, I didn't want it to be one of them. I didn't want to be Asian American. And over the last few years, that has drastically changed. I remember I had a conversation with my father a few years ago. We were at dinner and he was telling me how when he was a college student, um, he decided to walk from Nanjing all the way to Beijing to deliver uh, medical supplies to protesters on the front line of the Tiananmen Square massacre, which for context is like walking from here, New Jersey, all the way to Georgia on foot. <laughs> and as he described his heroics from you know facing down the barrel hole of a communist soldier to trekking through the desert barefoot, uh, I couldn't help but feel a sense of pride. You know, For once, it felt cool to me to be Asian American. And I realized that my Asian ancestry is rich and colorful tapestry. My parents were the first in millennia to leave China. It'd be a shame if I were to lose contact with thousands of years of tradition, history, and culture. Um, it'd be a shame if I were to lose so many connections to my legacy and my descent. Which brings me to now this article, which talks about losing contact with your language. It is somewhat of a shame to me that I have lost this part of my culture and lost as part of who I am because I was ashamed of my identity. And I never want an Asian American to have to live through that. And when they get older, to have to regret that. I want, you know, many young Asian American kids to embrace our identity, embrace who they are. And I think that truly is the main mission of Hear Our Voices. For a lot of kids my age now, we're very proud of being Asian American and we wish we could be, we could have embraced it more when we were kids. And so that is, I think, the importance of representation I think that's the importance of making Asian Americans known to say, hey, it's cool to be Asian American. It's okay to be Asian American because there are so many other Asian Americans out there who are doing amazing things. And there's no reason for you to ever feel ashamed of that. Let's wrap up with our lightning round. Try to answer these questions as quickly as you can. Something about you that would surprise us. I'm actually a very avid flutist in my free time. I'm a flute major at the Juilliard Pre-College and I've been playing flute for about five, six years now. So wow. In 10 years, where do you hope to be? Hopefully I'm a young entrepreneur that's creating a product that can have some impact on politics and benefit society as a whole. What is your favorite emerging business trend? Digital marketing is a favorite of mine. I think TikTok has really perfected this formula. It's so addicting to just scroll through. And, you know, while I don't like spending a lot of time on my phone, it's really crazy the outreach that social media has had in our lives and how it can sensationalize and make viral even the smallest stories and the smallest of products. What might you be caught binge watching at midnight? I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. I read the books when I was a kid growing up. And I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed by how that last season ended, to be honest with you. But, you know, I'll happily binge watch season one through seven with no complaints. <laughs> <laughs> a business person you would most like to invite to lunch and why? 
I would have loved to invite Steve Jobs over for lunch one day. I read his biography growing up and his business leadership style was really interesting to me. He was kind of a jerk at times, to be honest, but he was so obsessed with efficiency and perfection and aesthetic design. That always spoke to me as a more artistically inclined person like myself, as a big flutist, um, and to see someone bring that level of creativity to a more technical field like, you know, uh, computers are, was always really fascinating to me. Albert, thanks so much for joining us on Future of the Business World. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking. Discover more opportunities for high school students and educators at globalyouth.wharton.upenn.edu.